0: Romans chapter 1, this morning we're starting in verse 8 and reading through verse 15. Romans 1, starting in verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if, by some means, Now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Thus ends the reading of God's holy word. May he add his blessing to it. Let, Let us pray. Father, again, this morning we come to you recognizing that you are the Almighty God and you are our Heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we worship you and we ask for your help to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. I pray that your spirit would come, Father, and attend your word with power, not my word, but your word, Father. Speak to your people and let us hear, give us ears to hear, And let us hear and receive your word with joy, that we would be changed forevermore. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Well, for those of you who have been with us over these last several weeks, we have recently delved into Paul's great epistle to the Romans. And over really the last seven sermons, I believe we have um, covered the introductory verses, verses one through seven, Paul's greeting to the Romans. And we saw that the Apostle Paul identifies himself first off as a servant, a bondservant, literally a slave of Jesus Christ. And that his one mission in life is the gospel is to herald the gospel, is to go forth and proclaim the good news, the glad tidings of God, which is his very own message about his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he's writing to those who are loved by God, those who are called saints, those who have received grace both to be saved and to be sent out, that others might hear the gospel and obey it for the glory of God. And Paul's purpose in writing to the Roman church is really to teach them the truths of the great gospel of grace so that they would be established in the faith, that they would be built up. And so what we have in this passage, starting in verse eight and going through verse 15, um, is uh, really a, a little bit of a change in terms of tone and Um, What Paul identifies here in this passage is what I would call several marks of uh, gospel service. Gospel service. Today we're going to look at the first three marks of gospel service. And they are, number one, his thanksgiving for them. We see that in verse 8. The second is his constant prayer for the saints. That's in verse 9. And third is his submission to God's will. That's in verse 10. And what strikes me about this passage, brothers and sisters, from verses 8 through 15, is this is a wonderful portion of the letter where Paul gives us a glimpse into his own heart. The heart of the great apostle Paul, who no doubt was a great mind. He was a brilliant theologian. He was a masterful teacher. He was a sharp debater and an authoritative apostle. But he's also a shepherd, and he has the heart of love of a shepherd For his sheep. And this warmth really comes out in this passage. So, um, specifically, uh, what we see in terms of the warmth is really three things or four things his tender heart of love in thanksgiving for them, in his constant prayers for them, in his great desire to see them, and in his desire to minister to them. The English nonconformist Puritan preacher named Thomas Brooks once said this, The best way to do ourselves good is to be doing good to others. The best way to gather is to scatter. I think that idea from Thomas Brooks well captures the idea of gospel service. It is something that is not focused inwardly, but something that goes out. It is focused outwardly. So keep that in mind today as we read through this passage. And may the Lord give us light into his scripture. So verse 8, first of all, Paul says this. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. So notice first, the first order of business for Paul is always thanks. Thanksgiving. Paul, in fact, starts all of his epistles except for one. With Thanksgiving and the one that he doesn't start with Thanksgiving is the one to the Galatians and that's because they had defected from the gospel they had left the truth of the gospel and so Paul is eager to correct them but generally speaking he's always giving thanks first and this is really what's remarkable Paul has this attitude of Thanksgiving when you consider Paul's circumstances <laughs> Paul, remember, is writing to this this letter to the Romans from Corinth in Greece. And when you look at Acts chapter twenty and you see what was happening there, um, we understand that the Jews there, the unbelieving Jews, were plotting against Paul, plotting his death. And that actually was not unusual. Really, in every place where Paul went, the unbelieving Jews were stirred up, and they were looking to arrest him and detain him, and even kill him. And when Paul gets back to Caesarea on the end of this third missionary journey, which is when he writes the book, the letter to the Romans, there's a prophet named Agabus, you remember, who warns Paul that he is to be bound with the belt. The one who wears the belt is to be bound when he gets back to Jerusalem. And the disciples plead with Paul not to go. But then they finally acquiesce and they say the will of the Lord be done. At some points, Paul's on house arrest. Later, he's chained. He's taken to Rome where he is imprisoned and he's in terrible conditions. But his situation doesn't matter ultimately because the gospel, which is his life and which he wants to see uh, propelled forward more than anything, is going forward. I think we get a real sense of that when he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Listen to 2 Timothy 2, verses 8 and 9. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer as an evildoer, even to the point of chains, but the word of God is not, is not chained. In other words, Paul may be detained physically, he was. But the gospel is not chained. It goes forward. Why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to all who believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It doesn't depend on the work of the great apostle. It doesn't even depend on the work of a room full of Christians. It depends on the work of the Holy Spirit himself. God himself. And nothing can stop God's work. So regarding Paul's own circumstances, his heart is full of love. Love for God and for the work that he's doing in propelling the gospel forward. And for what else? For the saints. For the saints who are beneficiaries of the gospel. So brothers and sisters, let's ask ourselves, are are we thankful for the work of God in others' lives as much as we're thankful for God's work in our own lives? That was Paul's heart. A lot of people are not like that. They they only are able to show thanksgiving when things are going well for them. Those are people who usually complain a lot, right? God help us because we all fall into that trap. There's a wonderful application here, though. I think when when our hearts are full of thanksgiving to the Lord, we're thankful for his work in the lives of others. And that really makes our circumstances less important, doesn't it? A thankful heart drives out a complaining heart. So the first mark of gospel service is this, thanksgiving to God. Thanksgiving to God. And why is thanksgiving a gospel service? Because it's sacrificial. Turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13. And look at verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Hmm. Do we think of Thanksgiving as a sacrifice? It is. God says so also in Psalm 50. He says, offer to God Thanksgiving. That's the sacrifice that he cares about. He doesn't want the externals if the heart Of thanksgiving isn't there behind it. So that's Paul's heart. And notice how he says back in Romans 1, verse 8, he says, My God, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. He doesn't refer to God as just some impersonal force that's out there, but my God. He has a personal relationship. He speaks of God as a friend because of what Christ has done for him. The pagans never called the gods, my God, and neither did the Jews for that matter. Um, The gods were distant. The gods were to be feared. They were to be entreated for their favor. They were to be satisfied, assuaged to lessen their anger and their dread. And even the God of Israel, he was certainly feared for the promise of God's judgment in the case of their disobedience. God is very clear. Obey, And blessing follows. Disobey and cursing follows. But Paul says, my God. And that's why he can say, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. Because God has so loved Paul that he has sent his son to die in his place. He has taken Paul's disobedience and placed it on his son. And because of that, Paul has peace with God, as we saw in verse 7 of Romans 1. He's no longer concerned about punishment for his disobedience because Christ has paid the price of punishment for him. And then in, fir- in the first seven verses, Paul established that Jesus is God and it's through him alone that we receive grace and peace from God. Right? He says, my God th- through Jesus Christ. There is no access to God apart from Christ, right? John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No man comes to the Father but by me. So Paul's thanks comes exclusively through Jesus Christ. And he's not only thankful for those he mentions in Romans 16, by name, as we'll get to later, Lord willing, whom he had met or with whom he had become acquainted on his various journeys, but he says, for you all. He gives thanks through Jesus Christ, his God, for you all. He's thankful for the whole church at Rome, even though he's never met most of them. This is remarkable. Paul, how can you be thankful for people that you've never even met? Verse 8, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. That's how Paul can be thankful for people he's never met, because their faith speaks. Paul uses an interesting word for spoken or speaks. The Greek word there is katangelo. You might hear the word angel there. Angelo. Angel means messenger. So this compound word means preached, it means proclaimed. It means heralded or a message that sounds forth, that goes forth. And so he's saying, Your faith is. Sounding forth, reverberating, if you will, throughout the whole world. The faith of these Romans had an impact on the world. It wasn't just a personal faith for each individual who was saved. It went out. It did something. It spoke. So how does their faith speak throughout the whole world? Turn to Romans chapter 16. Look at Romans 16, starting in verse 17. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I am glad on your behalf. But I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. So what had gone out and had become known to all was their obedience. Their obedience to what? To the doctrine that they had been taught, to the truth of the gospel. Paul is saying, I want you to take note of the people who are teaching things that are contrary to what you've already been taught, who have Deviated from the truth. I want you to note them and I want you to avoid them. They are people who are not with us, they don't serve the Lord Jesus Christ. These are false teachers who are just using smooth words and flattering speech. And their goal is to deceive the hearts of the simple, meaning the, the, the unsuspecting, those who are not trained. And so Paul says, I'm glad for you because your obedience has become known to all. And moreover, I want you to be wise in what is good, which is what? The doctrine you've learned. And I want you to be simple concerning evil. Anything contrary to the truth. That's what's evil. Avoid it. Avoid that doctrine and avoid the people that espouse that doctrine. The word for wise there, I want you to be wise, is sophos. Uh, It's where we get the name Sophia. It's a beautiful name. And it means skilled, expert, learned, Paul's saying, I want you to become an expert in the truth. And I want you to be simple, unmixed as wine. In other words, pure, not mingling evil with truth. Keep it separate. I want you to become an expert in the truth so that when you hear it, you identify it and you can stay away from it. So they became obedient to the faith that was revealed, to the truth revealed. And so Paul is urging them, cling to the truth that you have received and reject everything that is false. So the first way that faith speaks is this, obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth. How else does faith speak in Scripture? Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Starting in verse eight, for from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place, your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Huh. The word for sounded forth there is uh, exigeo, it is to emit, to echo, to reverberate. So same idea that we're talking about here with Romans one eight. Their faith was known, it went forth, Um, it was spoken of. And how specifically was their faith sounding forth? Well, look at verse 9, continuing in 1 Thessalonians 1. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. This, brothers and sisters, is what the Bible calls repentance, To turn from idols to the true and living God. What's an idol? Well, anything that you serve in the place of God. That includes yourself. The Thessalonians who received the word of God, they stopped worshiping idols. And it became uh, obvious to everyone around them. They saw it. We get a really good illustration of this in Acts 19. You remember when the Ephesians who had been practicing magical arts... (laughs) <laughs> they they heard the word and they believed. And what did they do? Those who had practiced magical arts brought their books all together and they put them in a big pile and they burned them. And uh, we're told that the value of those books was 50,000 pieces of silver, which in those days would have been like 50,000 days wages burned up. It had an impact, a very significant economic impact. That also tells you how widespread the practice of magic was in Ephesus, right? Um, Think of the call to worship that we read this morning in Joshua 24. Verse 14 says, Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. (laughs) Serve the Lord. Put away the idols. He will not take second place in anyone's life. If you're not serving the Lord first, You're still serving idols. He will not suffer second place. So a second way that faith speaks is this. We turn from idols. We turn from idols to the true and living God. And then a third way is illustrated in Ephesians 1. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Starting in verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Now notice their faith sounded forth and Paul heard the sound. And he heard the sound of their faith in Jesus. And it says, and their love for all the saints. And he says the same thing about the Colossians. In Colossians 1, 3, and 4, he gives thanks to God since he heard of their faith in Christ and their love to all the saints. And he says the exact same thing in his letter to Philemon. In Philemon 4, he says, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Listen, genuine faith in Christ speaks. It's never silent and it's never just personal. And how did Paul know that the faith of the Ephesians and the Colossians and Philemon was genuine faith? By the love that they had for all the saints. So this is the third way that faith speaks. The third way faith speaks is by love for all the saints. There's a really good principle of faith speaking by love in Galatians chapter 5. Turn there just for a moment. It's actually just a page over from Ephesians where you are. Galatians 5. Look at verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but what? Faith working through love. This is how we know that faith is genuine. It works. And it works through love. It works through God's love. That word there is agape. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The love of God, which is self-sacrificial, which pours itself out on behalf of others tirelessly. True faith is never divorced from the love of God toward others. And those who claim to have genuine faith, but who never serve the body of Christ, I wouldn't hasten to... I wouldn't hesitate to say they're self-deceived. They're self-deceived. So genuine faith speaks by obedience to the truth, by turning from idols to the true and living God, and by love for all the saints. And one other thing. 2 Thessalonians 1. 2 Thessalonians 1. Starting in verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. And the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. (laughs) Their faith grows exceedingly. They don't just have faith, but it's a growing faith. And the word that he uses for grows exceedingly is another compound Greek word. It's hyper, which you can hear hyper, like massive, hyper. And then ausksano means growth. So hyper growth. We're talking like fertilizer applied to the plant. Hyper growth. That's how their faith is growing. And again, how did Paul know their faith was in hyper growth? Because their love toward each other was in hyper growth. In fact, the Thessalonians, as you may recall, were part of the churches of Macedonia, the northern province, the Roman province of Greece. And Paul writes about these Macedonian churches in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's turn there just for a second. This is, this is worth spending a little time on. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to us by the will of God. <laughs> so, what's happening here is these Macedonian churches are in deep poverty. They were in a war ravaged territory. They didn't have a lot of resources, but they had love for Christ. Their love was in hypergrowth, and their love for the saints was also in hypergrowth. And you know how they showed it? By taking up an offering an offering that they couldn't, quote unquote, afford. But they did because they gave out of their deep poverty and that abounded in the riches of their liberality. So they had faith that spoke. They gave what they couldn't afford to give because they loved the saints in Jerusalem and they loved Christ. And Paul, in fact, is going to take that Macedonian offering on his way back to Jerusalem and give it to the poor saints who were there. So the question for us, loved ones, is this. Is our faith genuine and is it growing? It is if your love is also growing exceedingly. That's our prayer. Lord, help us to love as you love. So faith speaks by obedience to the truth, by turning from idols to God, by a love for all the saints, which is growing all the time. Paul illustrates this overall concept of genuine faith speaking really well, I think as a summary in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians 3. Let's turn there. And look what Paul says. He says, verse 1, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? For you are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. We don't um, do a lot of snail mail anymore in today's email and text culture. But we still probably receive a lot of it in our boxes, right? Paul likened the Corinthians to an epistle, which is a letter. It's a handwritten note. And Paul says that that note was known and read by all men. In other words, their faith spoke and others saw it clearly as one would see writing on a page. Why? Because it was the Spirit who wrote his truth directly on their hearts so that they would live in a way that's consistent with the truth that had indelibly become part of who they are. And others saw it. And unlike a paper note, this kind of note can't get lost, right? We are God's workmanship. Paul tells the Ephesians in two chapter two, verse 10, literally his poem, similar to the idea of a letter created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand That we should walk in them remember the Ten Commandments they were written by the finger of God on tablets of stone and the people were commanded to obey the written word but in the New Covenant what do we have the Holy Spirit writes his word directly not on tablets of stone but on the tablets of our hearts so that we can know the Lord And that obedience to the Lord becomes our innermost desire, what we want to do. I'm not saying that we do it perfectly, but Lord knows we all struggle with the flesh, right? But that is our desire. Holiness is our desire. And this is why. Because Christ has made us his walking epistle, letter, written by the hand of God to speak the work of God to the lives of others. So back to Romans 1. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Um, That phrase, whole world, you know, world is used in different senses in the scriptures. We have to be careful how it's used. Here, Paul's not talking about the entire planet, he's not talking about every single person, but he is talking about the entire known world. And at that time, that was the entire Mediterranean world, that was the empire of Rome. And Rome was the capital. The commentator Hendrickson wrote this, the fact that in every, excuse me, the fact that in the very heart of pagan Rome, there were those who worshiped the true God was indeed a worthy topic for conversation, an adequate reason for joyful Thanksgiving. And you know what? It's a reason for joyful Thanksgiving in any part of the world. Anytime the Lord saves an individual, it is miraculous and we should give thanks. Thanks for the work of God in the lives of others, in addition to our own lives. Verse 9, for God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. So Paul is doing something interesting here. He's calling God to witness something. And what is that? That he prays for the Romans without ceasing. Remember, he'd never been to the Roman church. And so he's calling God to witness because he wants the Romans to know how earnestly he is in prayer for them. And so what he does is he, he appeals to Almighty God, who cannot lie, who judges the human heart and motives. What's Paul doing here? He's living honestly before God. He wants God to search him and to know him. Isn't this the same attitude that we find in David in Psalm 139 where he says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. See, Paul lives Coram Deo. Coram Deo is Latin for before the face of God. His audience is really an audience of one. His only concern ultimately is for the glory of God. And so when Paul tells the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 4, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or by any human court. What is he saying there? He's saying the only verdict and judgment ultimately at the end of the day that carries any weight for me, speaking as Paul, is God's judgment. He's not being arrogant. That's why he says, I don't even judge myself. He just recognizes God alone is the one who judges faithfulness. Can we say that too? Do we realize that we're always under the watchful eye of God? Let me put it this way. If Jesus were here in the flesh again, and he were with us wherever we go, would that change anything about the way we live? Would it change any, anything about the way we speak? About how we spend our time? About the media that we'd consume? For God is my witness, Paul says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son paul uses a very interesting word here when he says serve whom i serve with my spirit in the gospel of the son the greek word is latrefo which always refers to religious service in fact it refers to the religious service of priests when they would discharge their duty with before god what's interesting to me is that this word for serve also translates worship. Worship. Now, when we think of worship in our culture, what do we think of? Quiet or great music. We're in awe before the Lord. Maybe a posture. We're bowed down before Him. We're quietly meditating. We're reflecting on the Word of God. And those can all be forms of worship. I'm not saying they are not. But the word here means to serve as a priest would serve. It's the same word, in fact, that Paul uses in Romans 12, where he says in verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Latrefo. same verse, same word. It's our spiritual service, our worship. In other words, worship is not just a feeling. It's not just an attitude. It's an action. That's what Paul's getting at here. What are we doing when we lay down or when we worship God? (laughs) We lay down our lives, don't we? That's what Paul says in Romans 12. We are to be living sacrifices. We lay ourselves down. What else do we lay down? Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him that is Christ, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. We offer thanksgiving. That's why Thanksgiving is a gospel service, right? We're not coming to God with our stuff as the offering. We're coming to God with ourselves as living sacrifices. Here's another way the scripture says the same thing. Die to yourself daily. Take up your cross and follow Christ. Put to death the deeds of the body. And in light of what God has done for us in Christ, Paul says that is your reasonable service. In other words, your logical service. That's what should follow. That's how we worship. We serve God with our spirit. Ah, but some would object and say, but the object of the religious service matters. That's right. The object of the religious service does matter. For example, Romans 125, which refers to the ungodly who suppressed the truth and unrighteousness. Paul says this, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served, same word, the create the creature, rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You see, man in sin offers his highest spiritual service, his worship to the creature rather than to the creator. He worships himself. All his energies and his efforts go into serving himself, catering to himself. So people can be very zealous and passionate about their service. Certainly we see that with a lot of false religions. But if the object of the affection is not the true God, the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're worshiping idols, right? So the object of religious service matters. And okay, the object might be correct, but what about the spirit of the service? The spirit of the service can be wrong too. Take, for example, example Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6. Hebrews 9, 6, the author says this, Now when these things had thus been prepared, The priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. The priests performed their services, right? Their offerings, their service, was not able to remove something, though, the guilty conscience. They served God, but they had a guilty conscience which could never be cleaned by the offerings that they were offering it can only be taken away in Christ, right? Hebrews 9, 13 and 14. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? There it is. The only way that we can serve God with our spirit, in truth, with genuineness with our inner man is if we know that we're forgiven by Christ the blood of Christ cleanses our conscience it removes the voice that says guilty because Christ has taken your guilt you are now free free to serve free to serve with all you are not just your externals but with your inner driving person with your spirit Paul knew what it was like to have great zeal in serving God before he was converted, didn't he? He was a waster of the church. He was a persecutor of the church. And he thought that he was doing God's service. But as a Pharisee, he tells us how he was focused really just on the externals. On attaining his own righteousness. His motivation for service was his performance. And he completely missed the spirit of worship behind his service. In Romans chapters 9 and 10, Paul takes up this issue for his countrymen, his uh, uh, brothers and sisters after the flesh, Israelites. And he says in chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God that was Paul right he was lacking in knowledge he had the zeal but he was ignorant of God's righteousness and so he was seeking to establish his own but Paul here says for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son he says in effect I've got the right object of worship the true and living God my God the God of our father and Lord Jesus Christ He is the object of my worship, and now I've got the right motivation. I serve him with my spirit, that is, with sincere devotion of heart, without fear any longer, not trying to earn God's favor anymore, not concerned that his justice is going to fall on me because it's fallen on his son, Christ. My conscience is clear, Paul says, and I'm engaged with my inner man to pour myself out in spiritual worship to God. How? For the benefit of others. By presenting my body as a living sacrifice. That is my service in the gospel of his son. So Paul now gives us the second mark of gospel service. Constant prayer for the saints. Romans 1.9. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. That without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. So the first thing to note is this. Gospel service is not just preaching and teaching the word of God. But it is very importantly this, praying for other believers. Gospel service is praying for other believers. It's a big part of what priests would do, right? They would pray on behalf of the people. They would intercede on behalf of the people. Do you remember what Peter calls the believers in his first epistle? He says, you are a chosen generation, a royal what? Priesthood, right? The church is a royal priesthood because we're united to the royal great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, who always prays for his people. Paul tells us in Romans 8 that Jesus makes intercession for us, for us. The author to the Hebrews says Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us and that he has entered heaven now to appear in the presence of God for us. And 1 John says that Jesus is our advocate, literally our paraclete, our lawyer, our defense attorney. So since Jesus prays for us, he intercedes for us, he advocates for us, should we not do the same for our brothers and sisters in Christ as a royal priesthood? Without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. Is that redundant? I mean, if he says without ceasing, why does he need to add always? I think Paul is trying to teach us something about prayer here. Do you remember in First Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says that we are to pray without ceasing? What exactly does that mean? Does that mean that we're to pray literally without ever stopping? Just one long prayer, on and on and on and on. Well, I don't think that can be the interpretation because we know that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter six, that we are not to pray as the heathen do using vain repetitions, right? Just excessive amount of words, hoping that God will hear us for our many words. How are we to pray then? We are to pray like the friend who came at midnight, asking his friend persistently for three loaves of bread. For his guests who came, And the friend he was petitioning was already in bed with his children. Remember that? I can't get up and serve you because I'm already in bed. (laughs) It says he will get up and answer the door because of the friend's persistence. And we're to be like the persistent widow who got justice from that unjust judge. Remember, he turned her away, but she kept coming back to him to the point of wearying him. And he gave her justice just because he wanted her out of his hair. And shall God, who is the just judge, not avenge his own elect and who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? God is the just judge. He's righteous. He will answer according to his will, and he wants us to pray with persistence. It's also an attitude of praying regularly, regularly. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, right? How often do we have concerns and needs, brothers and sisters, regularly? In other words, be in prayer regularly with an attitude of thanksgiving. Be persistent and let your requests be made known to God. So when Paul says, without ceasing, I make mention of you always in my prayers. He's demonstrating an attitude of prayer of constantly communing with God, whom he serves with his spirit in the presence of God, Coram doing the work of the ministry in petitioning for these Romans, remembering them, holding them up before the Lord. And we we don't naturally think like that, do we? we? We think, okay, I need to pray for somebody. There's a need. Okay, I pray for them, Lord, check. but God wants us to come before him constantly about matters of importance throughout the day. That's what it means to be a true worshiper of God. We are communing with the Lord constantly. We're speaking with him constantly and on behalf of others. You know, sometimes older people get discouraged because they feel like they can't quote unquote do much for the Lord anymore. Perhaps they're housebound. Uh, Perhaps they're in hospice care. Maybe they're in the hospital. Whatever the situation may be, here's something we can all do. Pray for the saints. Pray for the saints regularly. Hmm. Husbands, this is to you and to me. How much of a relationship would we have with our wives if we only spoke with them once a day? Or once a week? Someone would have to start a refuge for negligent husbands. Paul is setting an example here for us to follow. Pray without ceasing. And this requires faith, doesn't it, brothers and sisters? I mean, to think that our obedience to God's will, to pray for the brethren regularly, will actually do something, that requires faith. To think that it'll actually make a difference requires faith. And you know what? James says, the fervent, effective prayer of a righteous man avails much, much, Why? Because we are all learning to pray according to his will. And the more you pray in line with God's will, the more he starts answering prayer because he will do all his good pleasure. The issue is not God. The issue is we need to learn what God's revealed will is. It's given us here in Scripture. Learn it. We all need to learn it and remind ourselves and each other of it regularly. This is how God works through his people. Perhaps you're like me, and sometimes you just feel like you don't know what to pray. Here's some advice. Pray God's word back to him. It's always a good thing to do. If you don't know what to pray, pray God's word back to him. You read the prayers of the Puritans like the ones we have in the Valley of Vision that we reference um, pretty regularly here, and you'll see that those prayers are saturated with Scripture. Those people knew the word of God, and it just they bled it. It came out. So let me ask you this. What occupies your thinking each day? Are you constantly talking with the Lord throughout the day as a friend with a friend? Are you giving thanks for the grace of God in others' lives as much as in your own? We are a royal priesthood. Let us bring our brethren before the throne of God persistently, regularly, interceding for them through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're instructed to do. This is the example Paul's giving us. Now, verse 10 of Romans 1. Verse 10. Paul says, making request, if by some means, now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Does Paul start this section with his request? No. He starts with thanksgiving, and then he makes his request. Thanksgiving requests to God when we pray requests should always follow Thanksgiving the Lord wants us to give thanks first that's our sacrifice acknowledge him thank him adore him then bring your requests with Thanksgiving before him and supplicate ask um, hmm. request should always follow Thanksgiving for the Christian because this everything that we have is by grace right we're not promised a next breath what we deserve is death and punishment right so any good that we experience should be cause for Thanksgiving in fact this is the whole ground and framework for our Thanksgiving as Christians we deserve nothing but God's wrath so any good that we experience in life should be cause for Thanksgiving thank you Lord thank you for your grace It's the same idea as why does God allow suffering? Is that really the question? Or is the real question, why does God allow anyone to experience anything good in life? See, we're all starting from the wrong place if we feel that we shouldn't suffer ever. The Christian road is a road of suffering. Our Lord suffered and he calls us to follow in his footsteps. Why is it that we're unhappy when things don't go our way? Is it not because we inherently believe that we deserve what's good which we define as things going our way but if we start from the position of knowing that we only deserve God's justice but that we've received mercy and grace in Christ we quickly become thankful people don't we and as we think on these things let the word of Christ dwell richly in us the Lord produces this attitude more and more of Thanksgiving in the hearts of his people So Paul makes his request and he says, if by some means now at last, I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul clearly wanted to visit these Romans, right? You can hear the urgency in his words, the longing. If by some means now at last, I may find a way. He says in verse 11 that he longs to see them. He's going to say in verse 13 that he planned to come to them, but that he had been hindered. We're going to look at that next time. But here's what I want to point out. Notice the humility that you you, that we see here paul has his desire it's clear he wants to go to rome he wants to minister to these people but he submitted primarily to the sovereign will of god for his life he is submitted in the will of god at last i may find some way in the will of god to come to you so this is the third mark of gospel service Submission to the to the will of God. Submission to God's will. Paul does not say, I will find a way to come to you, Romans, no matter what. If it costs me everything I have, I'm coming. Instead, he says, if by some means I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Isn't this the idea that James gives us in James 4, where he says, there are those who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into this city or that city and we'll Buy and sell there. We'll make a profit. We'll spend some time there. And he says, you have no idea what's even going to happen tomorrow. Don't boast against God. Your life and times are in his hands. Be wise. Be submitted to God's will. Now at last, I may find a way. It shows great patience, doesn't it? Think about the things that we pray for um, where we don't necessarily get answers right away. Hmm. I want to close with this. Paul at the end, toward the end of his letter to the Romans in chapter 15 in verse 30 says this Romans 15 verse 30. Now I beg you brethren through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. See, Paul wasn't sure that he'd ever actually reach Rome. He didn't know. He knew that the threats were all around him and that they awaited him when he went to Jerusalem. So he makes his request to the Lord for deliverance and he asked the church to do the same. Pray with me, pray for me, be persistent. Why? So that he can come to the Romans by the will of God. And we know that God did answer his prayer, right? But not quite as Paul thought. He got to Jerusalem and he wasn't killed there. He was detained, he was chained, and after a time he was taken to Rome in chains as a prisoner. So he got to go to Rome, but just not the way that he thought. And the Lord allowed him to minister while at Rome and actually to write several epistles, right? He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon while he was in prison. So God used Paul to further the gospel, even while he was in prison. And the reverberating effect, the sounding forth effect of the gospel, we still feel today, don't we? When we read Romans. It's amazing. The Lord's work in the apostle's life, regardless of the circumstances that he was in. So, loved ones, have you ever felt that you've prayed for something good? I mean, something that's in the revealed will of God, like, The salvation of someone's soul. I mean, we know it's God's will that people be saved. But your prayer still hasn't been answered. A few weeks ago, I shared that we have a sister in our church who prayed for her unsaved father for years, like for 40 years, that he would be saved. Very good prayer. And it wasn't answered for 40 years. And what was the Lord doing? Well, In his perfect wisdom and providence, he was showing tremendous long-suffering toward that man, right? Long-suffering patience. Before granting his daughter's petition, and he did save him, praise the Lord. We all rejoice together with her. We still do. So take heart. If you don't have what you ask, either you don't need it, you don't need it yet, or it's just not something that's going to maximize the glory of God. And you can rest in that. His timing, his wisdom is perfect. He's orchestrating all of history according to his will to bring it to to one point, to a terminus. A final day. We can rest in that as we make our petitions to God. Be submitted to the will of God. So the first mark, again, thanksgiving to God. Second mark, constant prayer for the saints. Third mark, submission to God's will. These are the marks of gospel service that Paul practiced and that we must also, brothers and sisters, strive to practice with God's help. May the Lord help us to put into practice what the Spirit of God says. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this instruction in your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, that um, you have not passed us by but you have called us into service. We who call upon the name of our Father and God of our Lord Jesus Christ. We who have heard the voice of our shepherd and who have turned away from our idols and turned to the true and living God, who have embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as the only remedy for our sin, the one who bore the punishment of Almighty God on our behalf. Father, thank you that because of his sacrifice, we can have a clear conscience. The guilt of our sin doesn't haunt us anymore. We can now serve you with our inner man. We can be fully engaged in the service of God as we thank you for all your goodness in our lives and especially in the lives of others. Father, help us to be a praying persistent, regular, communicating people that we would speak to you, that we would be in your word enough to know you, know your will, and speak it back to you in prayer. Father, I pray this morning that your saints would be encouraged, that if anyone here or hearing the word of God on this recording doesn't know you, that they would call out upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation We know, Lord, that it is your will that we be saved, that we turn from idols to the true living God. But we can't do this apart from you. Come, Spirit of God, and do the work that only you can do. Thank you for your people. Thank you, Lord, for the faith that you've given us to to know that you are God and that you are able to do everything that you say, everything that you've promised. We trust you, Lord. We confess our sins. Search us and try us. Cleanse us from every wicked way and lead us in the way everlasting. We pray this in the name of your precious son, Jesus. Amen.